Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. <laughs> and I'll try to tell the story quickly. So I'm, I'm on this uh, collection of weirdos on the internet that trade live tapes back and forth, right? Excuse this, me? This, we, we trade live concert performances back and forth. Okay. Um, right. I, look, I know who I am. 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. Hello, how are you? Tim Plain calling in with uh, Ben Barton and yeah. Simons out in California. How you guys Present. Doing? Present indeed. Well, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm doing as well as last week because I got all that shit, but I'm, well, uh, I'm a four and a half. <laughs> I, I went back and re-listened to that and uh, Ben Barton came on strong, but I think he was totally justified. You yeah, cannot. I think so. I think so. We're not going to have any great inflation here. Okay. <laughs> That's right. We don't do That's that. Right. I forgot. We've got a law school professor who actually right. grades on an actual curve yeah. rather than the high school teachers where it's A, A minus, and <laughs> <laughs> Knoxville, <laughs> Knoxville don't play. Uh, I am coming straight from an awesome, awesome meal. Helen nice. Plain, Thai noodles, chicken, broccolini. So That's good. Um, unfortunately, the meal ended in uh, a bit of a kerfuffle talking about the best song of 1972. Well, the good thing we're having this conversation to solve that then. That's uh, yeah, it does seem timely. Straight. Yeah, <laughs> really, really crazy timing. Uh, my children are going to disown me if I don't pick what they want me to pick. But we'll get to that in just a sec. Wow, First your kids thing, have an opinion about 72, huh? They do indeed because they they know what song I originally chose, uh, and and they're mad about my reason for abandoning that song. Oh well, then you should stick with it, man. Well, wait till you hear my reason. All right, um, good. Ben Barton, it's up to you to explain the format, but this week we have to do it in fifteen words or less. Fifteen words or less explaining <laughs> this podcast on your mark, get set, go. Love it. Not best, not favorite song from year awesomeness. <laughs> well, there, there you have it. That was good, right? I had some words to spare. You, you really had a whole, did. You had a whole haiku left, I think. I really did. I really did, yeah. It, oh, is, it is 1972, so we have to figure out 
what 1972 was like musically. So we're going to go to Jeff Simons so he can introduce. Uh, it's a dual threat this year, right? Yeah, we've got this, this, uh, and this is the Grammy winner and the be- the song that spent the most time at number one. Six, oh, by the way, I did not get the memo weeks. this week, so I have no idea what these are. I'm looking forward to finding out. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I got, I, I got uh, advance information from Tim like an hour ago so that I would have the song queued up. Yeah, I apologize. I felt that our podcast was becoming too scripted, so I wanted to kind of freeform it tonight. That was a problem. Okay. Um, we've got a problem. Hold on, hold on. Hit. We uh, we will delete this out later. But when I made you the host, I yes. made it impossible for me to share my. So you you've got to go and give me sharing. Uh, like go up to my name and say he's oh. stuff because I can't share the sound. So I'm the host. Yeah. So just I just make can me the co-host. Make and I'm co-host. All set. I don't know if I want. No. Okay. Yeah. All right, there we go. All right. Here we go. Now we're now we're getting into it. Should I do a poll of how boring this is so far? <laughs> Launch poll. Launch poll. How many people have already given up? All right, here we go. So this song is both – I want to make sure I got this right, Tim. It's both the number longest song at number one in 72. Six, six weeks at number one. And won the Grammy. In, in early 73. That's correct. Okay, here we go. It's the Grammy winner. First time ever I saw your face. By Roberta Flack. Gracious plenty. Thank you. What's the chorus? What's the name of that song? That's the first line. The first time I ever I saw your face. That's the name of that song? That's the name of that song. Six weeks. Sometimes they're on a five to ten year lag, but that's a 1952 lag. I mean, that's That's, it. That could be a Nina Simone. Roberta Flash got a beautiful voice, but that's not acceptable. That goes on just like that at that unbelievably slow pace for five minutes. It's a long song. Well, What's so funny is when you were talking about how boring this is, I thought you were setting up Roberta Flack when you were talking about our podcast. But that's a that's a slow intro into a that song. That is a slow I never I mean intro, that's it. It never builds from there. It I mean that is a weird song where that's just it's that very quiet orchestration and Flack just takes those notes and makes them last for 10 15 seconds. Well, I'll tell you what, the most up-tempo song we've had from 69 till now is the Jeremiah Was a Bullfrog song, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. The only Otherwise, up-tempo. it's been nothing but dirges. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. <laughs> so I have a story. I'm terrified of this song. Why? Because it's a weird, one of those weird, like, associative moments from childhood. The first time we went to the movie theater to see a movie... And it's a long time. My parents like did not want to waste money on the kid who would not understand movies. Um, the preview was The Omen. 
Remember the omen? Oh, sweet. Terrifying. Terrifying. Well, even more terrifying because my mother decided the thing to do was to cover my eyes and not let me watch and only hear the omen trailer. Okay. I imagined something 80 times more terrifying. And then, and I was rattled the whole movie. I don't even remember what the movie was we went to see. And I think it was something hilarious, like Snoopy Come Home. Like, show the <laughs> Omen preview before Snoopy Come Home. Because it was 1974, and who cares? Yeah. On the way home, this song played. Uh-huh. And I always associated it with the Omen and that <sighs> feeling of total terror that I had. So you were still boring, processing the sounds yeah, you heard. boring, slow song. I keep waiting for, like, somebody to jump out of a closet with a chainsaw and start car- well, car- chainsaw noises would improve it. I think yeah. we can, that's a good note. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I did not develop as a hockey player because of that movie and the grandfather stuck under the ice. And I was like, Nope, that's it. I'm out of skating. Um, well, so we don't have uh, a second song to set up so I can get right into some history lessons for you. 1972. Uh, what do you suppose is the biggest news story of the year 1972? Jeff Simons, I'll put that to you. The biggest news story is Nixon's re-election and absolute ass-handing to George McGovern, 49 states to one or something He like did that. indeed run with it. It's almost like he didn't need to cheat. And yet. And yet, the Watergate break-in also happens in 19... 19- it's like a team wins 13 Super Bowls and they still deflate the balls at halftime. What were they thinking? This podcast is over right now. Click. <laughs> they did not deflate the balls at halftime. That'd be ridiculous. It was pregame. Anyways, um, we also had uh, the invention of Pong. Nice. Good, good stuff. George Wallace was shot. Yeah. Did you know anything? Also a good one. Did you know anything (laughs) uh, about the uh, assassin? Was he he so violently anti-racist that he tried to kill George Wallace? I don't know anything about the guy who shot George Wallace. I'm going to have to defer to Ben. He was... um, not all there. His his dream was his passion was to kill Nixon, and when and he, he realized when he realized that was going to be too difficult, he lowered the bar <laughs> and went after Wallace. Is that right? Yeah. He went. He brought his gun to a Nixon rally, and he's like, "I can't get anywhere near this guy." Oh my god, so, that's just amazing. Considering that Squeaky Frome shot Gerald Ford four years after that, that guy just didn't try hard enough. That's right. Um, Ground troops finally leave Vietnam. That's big. Uh, ben Barton, what do you think won the best picture of 1972? I'm just going to keep guessing Godfather. It is The French Connection. No! Godfather's next year? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I think it comes out in 72, so it wins. The French Connection's a great movie. Never saw it. Oh, you should see it. I don't okay. know if it holds up, but I remember finding it. It's I thought the car the ch- race scene alone is worth watching. Yeah, man. They, uh, the elevated train chase is incredible. Uh huh. All right. Well, you, um, Jeff, I texted you the song I wanted you to cue up. And so we're going to play 10 seconds of that song, and Ben Barton is going to explain its significance.
can't believe the news today. Yeah, that's uh, Sunday, buddy, Sunday. And so I assume something bad happened in Ireland. That is correct. (laughs) Something bad (laughs) happened in Ireland. It was indeed Bloody Sunday when 14 unarmed Catholics were shot dead by British troops in Belfast. So there you go. Bono bringing it home for us. Uh, You had the Munich Olympics. Oh, yeah. And those were beyond horrible, right? Awful uh, terrorism that our our parents uh, watched live, I I suppose, that night with Jim McKay. Hey, Um, can I hijack for a second? Have you guys seen the movie Spielberg made, Munich? Really dark. Did you? I I remember thinking it was fantastic. Am I wrong about that? Like I've only seen it. I've only seen it once, but I thought it was phenomenal. I really like it. It's a little bit like the um, Inglorious Bastards, and it's like a rethinking of that entire event from the point of view of awesome Israeli soldiers. So yeah, yeah. kind of a likable take on it. Yeah, I just I just remember thinking it was it was really riveting and well done and super dark, but I I really liked it. So I actually forgot it was Spielberg. So well, it doesn't have a little robot <laughs> crying, like learning the true meaning of Christmas at the end. <laughs> so it's unspielbergian in that regard. But a little girl in a red dress walking along. Uh, uh, so. Well, that actually found very moving. But like I, the, it hit, yeah, he always has a kid. He has a kid. There's always a Teddy yep. Ruxpin-ish yep. mistake in his recent work, but not in Munich. I don't think there's a, there's a talking good bear in that. All right. We're going to get to our songs in just a second. I have three more tidbits for you. Um, The first one involves our impossible question. Whose turn is it for the impossible question? I'll take it. Yeah. All right, Ben, there was a Uruguayan airplane that crashed in the Andes mountains in 1972. (laughs) Yeah. Good eating. (laughs) The the survivors of the plane crash lasted 72 days in the Andes before they were rescued. And as you know, they turned to cannibalism, eating the dead uh, in order to survive. By the way, the allegedly dead. (laughs) I'm not saying, I'm just saying the impossible question. <laughs> Mostly dead, to quote the Seriously, nobody wants to eat the dead. They're super bony. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> the impossible question is, how many days do you go without food before you look at Jeff or me and be like, eh, hot dog? <laughs> well, that's a that's a long weekend for Ben, I think. That is that's a tough question. Ben needs regular meals. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I get cranky. I would get pretty cranky. You know, I guess I could maybe go a day. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never saw that movie. I don't know much oh. about the story. I think oh. like aren't There's you eating? Scene. Aren't you eating bark and pine cones? There's first? nothing. They're at they're at the top of a mountain. It's snow and dead bodies. First of all. Um, 72 days do you start sledding wait am i the only first of all am i the only one who has seen a lot no way i'm seeing that movie no way ben you didn't see it i haven't seen it either okay okay there's a it's first of all it's it's wonderfully awful it's wonderfully oh is it okay but the best scene by far is you know the first time they eat the people they eat a little tiny piece and they cut it and they're all horrified with themselves and then like an hour later there's a scene where there are two guys talking to each other and one of them's holding like 
a swordfish fillet-sized chunk of human. He's like, hey, that, uh, I think that tree looks a little different. Ah. Oh, God. It's so funny. It was the most unintentionally funny movie of whatever year that came out. Highly, wow. I watched, definitely one of those ones I rented at Blockbuster, and then like it's like, I cannot look, but I cannot turn away. It was, it was awesome. <laughs> oh, you rented it at Blockbuster. Oh, yeah. There's, a, a, there's an old-fashioned sentence. All right. <laughs> yes. All right. Um, so I think, actually, that was the invitation to citizens of question. But uh, no matter. Jeff Simons, you're going to try to make this the invitation to cynicism. Bobby Fischer plays Boris ah. Spassky in the World Chess Championships. It's best of 24. Right? Who gets to 12 and a half points first? In the pivotal game six, the, the chess match where Boris Spassky stands up and applauds Bobby Fischer afterwards. Fischer plays the Queen's Gambit declined. Should Spassky have looked to castle Queenside rather than Kingside? Jeff. Why is it a best of 24? Just... First of all, chess invites derision just from the very nature of chess nerds' ability to turn a game for children into the ultimate intellectual conquest. And then you wreck any chance of a normal person like myself caring and getting into it by making these things best of 24 and lasting anywhere between 9 seconds and 14 hours. Chess is cricket. It's they had, the same thing. It has weird arcane rules, and you guys use terms like king's gambit or rounders, or you could you could have geared that whole thing up and used all BS terminology, and I would have sounded the same to me. Like, should he have looked sidewise to the rook confused, or should he have taken the secluded <laughs> Hamlet? I mean. By the way, having it be best of an even number. Right. Like, who are these idiots? That's Why the one thing I understand. Well, it's That's an even number. If it, if it comes out tied, Spassky uh, retains the championship. Sure. It, with the, the first uh, Supreme Court <laughs> of the United States had six justices, and they kept six justices for a while. And you're like, what, what, are you, like, what voting body is a good idea to have an even number? Did they have a lot of three and three ties? Did they? Actually, the good news is nobody cared. Like, oh, okay. Or Murray versus Madison, nobody cared. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, right. uh, I would guess that um, in that rare moment of humanity between chess people, Spassky revealed himself to be too human to be a chess wizard. Yeah. And well, therefore, uh, uh, that's why Fisher won, because Spassky turned off his internal robot computer long enough to clap and show empathy for another human. Right. Ruining his Fisher chess career. Bobby Fisher needed that um, little show of emotion in class. Uh, I actually watched the match for this podcast, just a little prep that I do for the audience. Um, wow. Spassky was, he was under siege the whole time, let me tell you. All right, final question, then we get to our songs. The Equal Rights Amendment. Um, passed the House and the Senate in 1972. I want to know how many states adopted the Equal Rights Amendment. It needed 38 to pass. It needed 38 to become a constitutional amendment. 
think it might be 37. It's really close. It's 30 at least. I think it's it's over 30 now. It, in the time, it, it just squeaked to 30, I believe. And you say 37, Ben? Yeah, I thought Virginia – I thought the Virginia legislature was going to, like, put it over the top this well, yeah, I, rem- I, remember I, being, I remember being at a mill in Lowell as my mother hunted for bargains, and I had to go to the bathroom. This was 74, 75, and she said, go to the bathroom in here, and I said, that's a woman's room, and she said, well, if the ERA passes, we'll all be going to the bathroom together. <laughs> that was... <laughs> And then she quoted some Phyllis Shafley, and it was over. Um, 35 of, 30, of, of the required 38 uh, adopted it, but it fell short of becoming an amendment to the Constitution. So. All right. I think we have covered everything of interest for 1972, except, of course, the best songs of 1972. Our three songs. Who gets to go first this week? It's Jeff. Oh, is it really? Let's go. All right. I'm going to see if you can get my song from the first two seconds. Are you ready? Papa was a Rolling Stone by The Temptations. Oh, I can't. Um, uh, Papa was a Rolling Stone. You guys are the best. but it takes two full minutes to get to the vocal on Papa Rose Rolling Stone. And that's the shortened single version, which is six and a half minutes. The album cut at 11 minutes and 45 seconds, which I actually, this is one of my all-time favorite songs. I didn't even know there was an album version until like a year ago. Like I've only ever known about the single version. I can't believe how long the introduction is on that. It's just hysterical. But um, this is my... I think it's probably my second all-time favorite song behind last week's all-time favorite. Um, I uh, and if it's not if it's not number two, it it, it is on some days. But um, this is the song that I would credit with a lot of things. I think I became interested in being a musician because of this song. I think I became interested in understanding the world around me because of this song. It's the first song that clued me in to the fact that maybe white people and black people had slightly different experiences walking around in the world. Um, And uh, I actually love this song so much. I wrote a blog post about it. That's like almost 4,000 words long. Um, But this one, uh, this is such a game changer track for me. It taught me how to clap off the one it taught me what syncopation was. I, I just thought it was, I still think, I st- and I still love it. I like, when I'm driving around the car and that song comes on like 70s on 7, like I have to watch the speed limit and I listen to the whole thing. That's awesome, man. Sorry, give us, uh, give us the chorus, Jeff. Oh, okay. Uh, this will be an imprecise attempt because uh, it's somewhere in the middle. Ready? I'm 
the onomatopoeia of that? Is it all he left us was alone, like yep. by ourselves, or alone, like in debt? <laughs> great. It works either way, you know. Uh, it's a terrific song. Who sang that? Uh, that is The Temptations. Oh, crushed it. All right. That's a strong, strong contender for song of the year for 1972. Ben Barton. Take us through the, temp like, where does that fall in the Temptations? Near the That's very yeah, near the very end of their relevancy. Yeah, in fact, it's uh, it's almost like a comeback hit. They went through this weird psychedelic rock phase in the late '60s. Songs like "Psychedelic Shack" and uh, um, had a couple of other like bottom of the chart hits that were kind of weird and interesting, like um, "Cloud Nine And remember the song "Can't Get Next to You, Girl"? That was a big hit. Then yeah. they did "Ball of Confusion." Huh. In 1971, Don't and know Rolling Stone was the last, was really the last huge hit. And then in '75, they had one more called a song called "Shaky Ground." You know that one, "Stand in on Shaky Ground." Um, but they start to fade. This is their this is their last kind of big moment. But all of their other hits are like '66 to '67. Yeah, no, it's a it's really an outlier in their uh, among their hits. Totally. Right. I mean, All is right. the rest of the record good? Like, or is it just like they just had this one song in them and that was it? It's not great. I mean, like, um, it's not bad. There's another song on the on the record. The record's called All Directions, and there's a song called Mother Nature, which is pretty good. Um, there's some crazy stuff on the record. Um, uh, we'll have to bleep this out, but just so you guys can hear it. This is track two. Check this out. It's a weird. What? It's a weird moment. It's this kind of weird kind of black pride, black power, but it's also got like minstrel show, like self mocking in it. It's a it's a really interesting record, but not great. Wow. But that one song is just undeniable. I think so. Oh yeah, no, but it's one of those songs where it's so good. You're like, why aren't there 25 songs by this band that sound just like this? I know. You know what I mean? right. like, it's really weird that that like they had that, and I can't think of another Temptation song that sounds like that, or honestly, that I like as much as that. Right. Right. Yep. Well, I think they borrowed the Motown funk that like Edwin Starr and. Uh, Marvin Gaye and uh, and Isaac Hayes were developing on the other oh, side. Oh, for sure. Sure. It's got a little James Brown in it, too. Yeah, a little bit. All right, Ben Barton. How are you going to follow that? It's going to be tough. All right, so um, I'll start with the band. Uh, so this, this was recorded in 72, first played live in 72, released in 73. Ooh. This is actually my favorite classic rock band. Now, I said I was a Rolling Stones guy right. in high school and in college, but in my full adulthood, Led Zeppelin has come to be Look my favorite that. band from this era. And uh, this song encapsulates it. This is my favorite Led Zeppelin song. It's been my favorite Led Zeppelin song for 20 years. It would have been my maybe 20th favorite Led Zeppelin song in high school, and that's the richness and beauty of the catalog of this band. Right. right. Like, yeah. uh, what they span from Zeppelin 1 all the way through present is amazing. Right. All the stuff that they did, and then just the sheer musicianship of it. Uh, so, Jeff, if you'll cue up the Rain Song. Uh. The Rain Song by Led Zeppelin. <laughs> Thank you. 
season I am to know You are the sunlight in my growing So little warmth I've felt before Lord. It isn't hard to feel me glow I watch the fire that grew so low to get through that part can't cut it before we get to that yeah so led zeppelin i think this is uh, not a hot take this is a consensus view it's the most mind rock act period it's the rock act that has been most stolen ripped off different sounds all the way from then until now they're still like uh the black keys are still living off uh, right. their raps and i mean that as praise not as critique Crazy thing about this song, and then Ten Years Gone, which is on the next, it's on the next record, which is basically the same song, is it's really not ripped off at all. Like I can't think of a song that came out afterwards that sounds like this song. And huh. the reason why is the balladry, the chords, the open tuning, the weird string part that comes in, and then it gets kind of loud at the end. Like it's just not reproducible. Like it's a singular, weird. Very, very awesome. Like, uh, there's a great Rick Rubin quote about it where he's like, it's not a ballad, it's not a rock song. I don't even know what kind of music it is. I just think that perfectly captures the song. I mean, a, a band I did not appreciate in high school that every year I'm like, oh, I, I get it. You know, I, I, I appreciate it that much more. I don't know what I was thinking in high school listening to George Michael, frankly. Oh, yeah. I wasn't listening to George Michael. I found Led Zeppelin. Um, the problem with with our exact age, I don't know about you guys. Like you, the record, the Zeppelin record. When I became aware of music and started to really pay attention, was Into the Outdoor. Like seventy eight, seventy nine is when. Like I mean, because Presence is seventy six. I'm only six, seven years old, and there's nothing on that record that makes the radio. So my first Zeppelin song is All of My Love. Which I thought, which I thought was Otto, my love, for years and years. <laughs> I thought he was saying Otto, my love, which I was like, oh, I wonder who Otto is. But uh, and then if you buy that record first, <laughs> it's pretty spotty. Like Carousel Ombra is eleven minutes. That's pretty silly. That's and, the first Zeppelin record you bought. Yeah, because it was the hit record when I started to buy records. It was uh, I bought it in nineteen eighty. And it was there, I mean, Bonham had just died, and it was in the front of every record store you went into. So. So I, I was already like... But wait, already, it starts with an 11-minute song? No, it's side two, but like it, okay, has, okay. it has good stuff on it, but it's also weird. I mean, it's... I mean, Oh, it's, the, it's not the, a good record. The it's great stuff's undeniable. The Fool and Rain is incredible, yeah, yeah. incredible song, but it's their spottiest record. And then I went... From there, I went right into hardcore punk rock, and so I always thought of Zeppelin as this bombastic, like overproduced big sound and and it wasn't until i got to college and people like ben like reminded uh -huh. me to go listen i realized what a stripped down 
remarkable band they are. I mean, I my favorite Zeppelin is when there aren't any overdubs and it's just the four of them playing like just absolutely everyone plays. So I was saying about the Who, they all play right to the edge, like right, barely right. in control and right. it sounds phenomenal. But I also love the Rain song. I think Holy is my favorite of the Zeppelin records. Houses is my favorite. Um, and it becomes more and more my favorite um, as I get oh older. yeah, well that's the thing is so like uh, and you'll you'll hear this repeated. I've got an exercise mix that's only bangers. Like I is, listen to it while I'm running and I can't fast forward a song. If I fast forward a song, I fail on the mix. Is that on oh, Spotify? Where can I find this? Oh, I just have it like well, I, I I could actually put it on the. Let's go! Come on, Ben Barton. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm very. This mix is super curated, and there's only like 20 songs that just sit on the mix, and this is one of them. This is a song that I just, I, I could hear this, like I'll hear this 10 years from now and I feel, I promise I'm going to feel the same way I feel about it today. Like I just love this one. Yeah. And it's like, uh, it's like a book that, that bears repeated reading. You know what I mean? Like there's so much to it. Just yeah, each time well you said. hear something a little bit different. I mean, well when, when Gordon Lightfoot covered it, I remember it was just really <laughs> awesome. So um, actually, nice, Jeff, you, nice you, brought, back. you brought up something. I'd love to, pick y'all's brains about this the, the idea of of uh having an album that might have three or four great songs and then you have this this other stuff that's something that our children don't experience boom they go to a song and they go to a song and they go to a song is anything lost in the experience of listening to an album especially an album like you're talking about that has some dogs on it well it depends on what you're in it for um, I mean, this is a conversation Ben and I have three times a week. Practically. Okay. But, I mean, I, uh, I used to, I used to judge an album by its flaws and the older I get, I judge an album by its successes. Right. If I get a new record and there are four good songs, I'm like four good songs. <laughs> These guys are geniuses. I have force and I will now like just let the other six fall out the back. Okay. I used to be much more critical. I used to like, think of like and i guess it's because and i guess it depends on whether the songs are being presented to me like these songs go together then they all better be good if okay. it's like if a record is like it was time for me to put out songs so here's the 20 i wrote since the last time i did one i'm way more forgiving if it's if it's well but you, but you could have an artist like who who puts 12 songs together and they and they belong together and still have some dogs are you more forgiving of those because they're part of that uh, I used to, I just try to be more forgiving as I get older. Yeah. Like new, it's harder and harder for me to find music that knocks me on my butt. And uh, so when I do, I'm thrilled. And so if that record has howling dogs on it, I I can I just delete them. Okay. You know? <laughs> my like uh, my daughters are now like my oldest daughter is getting to be a medium sized music nerd and is really into it. And so I'll okay. Say the first thing I'll say is that. Uh, starting in high school, both her and this will happen to her sister too. They'll be like, "Oh, here's a, here's a song I really like," and they'll play it for me, and I'll be like, "Oh, that that's really good." Like, how, how's the band? Are there other good songs by this band? And they'll be like, "I have no idea." Right. <laughs> right. Like, I right. Didn't, I, why would I look at that? And I'm like, because you like this, and that's a sign that you might like the other things. And they're like that. That has been like that has been kind of broken with them a little bit, and that, okay. that does strike me as a significant loss because yeah. I, I know that everybody who's who's speaking on this podcast like if you hear something awesome on the radio first of all this is hilarious right like talk about the wayback machine you hear something right. awesome on the radio and you'd be like who is that by i have to wait 
to hear them tell me who that's by. Sometimes they wouldn't. And then you never find out. So then you like hang out. Yep. And a week and a half later, they play yep. the song again. They'd be like, oh my God, that's, that's the song. Yeah. Who's yeah. that Well, great, great job by both of you. Uh, I love both those bands. I love both those songs. Unfortunately, you guys came up short this week. Yeah, uh, we always not, do. Not the best song of 1972. But I have a, a, a quick quiz for you. I'm so excited I don't get to see your faces. I want you to name your least favorite Elton John song. Go. Oh, boy, that's... <laughs> There's like so many. A vomit to lick. Can you feel the love tonight? <laughs> a puddle of vomit to lick. Yes. I, have, I, I like mine. I picked a good one. Yeah. Ben, can you top that? Oh, um, I feel like anything after 1985 is... is yeah, oh, totally. You just got to pick your poison. I can't even think of... Like, I can't think of one, though. Well, you've got a Grammy winner coming up in 84, I think it is. Which um, one's that? I'm sure I hate that. Um, oh, I... No, that's what, like... The one like about a, being friends. That's what friends oh, are for. That's what yeah. friends are for. Yeah, that, that one's a Grammy coming out for us. But that's that's a, a good one. That's like a We Are the World style thing. It though. is. Like he's yeah. got like 80 people on that. that. Four. And I'm okay. cheating because <laughs> I picked a Lion King song. That's no good. I mean, I. Oh, but even know, I, I really hate I'm Still Standing. Great. Great call by you. That's a terrible song. Even uh, on his greatest hits. Spot. I have a soft spot for I'm Still Standing. <laughs> I can't the stand. The video is so good. I can't stand a uh, crocodile. <laughs> crocodile Rock is oh, a dog. Crocodile Rock's a silly song. Oh, it's terrible. Um, so, anyways, what's your favorite Elton John song? My favorite is Tiny Dancer. I don't okay. really like Elton John, and I know that's a bad choice, but that's. I think that's. Tiny Dancer is really good. I, I might go with "Take Me to the Pilot." Right. It's mine. Yeah. I mean, extraordinary. He's not on my list anywhere else, um, but a remarkable career. So I, I went with a 1972 Elton John song. Originally on the list, if you look on my computer, you will indeed see Brandy, You're a Fine Girl by Looking Glass. <laughs> However, last night, they, during, the, uh, during the quarantine, we are going through every Marvel movie. In order. Yeah. Yeah. And, I want to do that too, actually. And so last night was Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And this would have been your second Guardian of the Galaxy song out of four songs. So yeah. that's that's a problem. Well, I think we're learning where, where Tim gets his <laughs> music from. And, and and like how do I defend myself? No, no, I like these songs before Chris Pratt sang them. Uh, I just but, think you want to be Chris Pratt. <laughs> but the thing that annoyed me was in the screenplay how much Kurt Russell has to explain the meaning of Brandy, you're a fine girl. Like he starts reciting the lyrics to Chris Pratt and I'm just you're like, right. it this takes is like a minute. You're right. Yeah. This is incredibly heavy handed. You know, you either get the song or you don't. Um, and so it kind of ruined it for me. And my, my children are going after me. And then my wife stepped in and said, you can't, you can't choose two Guardians of the Galaxy songs. That's, that's right, Helen. Thank you, Helen. She really? Yeah, she did. She she stepped up. Um, so so you, can I guess? Are you going with Rocket Man? I am not. 
Oh, uh, okay. I like that one. I'm going with um, Mad Hatters. Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatters by Elton John. Now I know Spanish Harlem are not just pretty words to say. Okay, pause, Jeff. I forgot to tell you, I want you to go to uh, three minutes and 43 seconds. For a good man to go down Rich man can ride And the hobo he can drown And I thank the Lord For the people I have found I thank the Lord for the people I have found So as much as I can deride Elton John and point out his flaws and point out some of the songs that I hate, what a career. Um, and over the, the 50 years of my lifetime, the, the number of times I've heard Elton John's songs, um, it, it's crazy. It is, he's got to be top 10 as far as number of songs I've heard by a singular artist, right? So, so without question... Elton John is, is the sound of the 1970s as close to there being a, an act like that, the way the Beatles were the sound of the 1960s. There isn't a moment from 1971 to 1976 where an Elton John song's not in the top 40. I'm, I would bet there isn't a single calendar week without an Elton John song in the top 40 in those five years. Right. Like he's, He's enormous. It, it, it's like it's impossible for people of our generation to really understand how big he was in the seventies unless you do some digging. The other mm -hmm. thing I want to say about Elton John that I love is same band from nineteen seventy to nineteen seventy six. Same three guys. Wow. Bass, drums, and guitar. Uh, that entire six year period, and I mean they those they all lived together. They recorded together. They toured. It was the touring band. It was the band on the records. He was incredibly loyal to those guys. Like. There are so few solo acts that treat their sidemen like band members, and Elton John is one of them. Well, then and, you, you also have his relationship with the songwriter. Right, which is wait. also, right, what, five, six decades old right. or whatever, right? D dynamic. Other, also, and this is like something that he threw away, like just absolutely did not understand how important it was. One of the greatest live performers in rock history. I... <laughs> and I'll try to tell the story quickly. So I'm, I'm on this uh, collection of weirdos on the internet that trade live tapes back and forth, right? Excuse this, me? This, we, we trade live concert performances back and forth. <laughs> um, right. I, look, I know who I am. There's a guy named Mike Millard who recorded like five or 600 concerts in the 70s and 80s, including Ben, the Listen to This Eddie, Led Zeppelin bootleg of LA in 77, including the Pink Floyd Animal Show and the Wish We Were Here show from the LA Forum that are kind of like some of the most famous bootlegs of all time. I, I'm sorry, like is he on the soundboard? 
like plugging no, no, in? He's like, so Millard went to shows in a wheelchair. Uh-huh. Like he, got, he bought a ticket uh, for the disabled section and went in a wheelchair and the wheelchair was rigged with a Nakamichi tape deck, six cassettes and Shut five state of art microphones. And they, his friend wheeled him into the spot, in the sweet spot in front and he recorded. Glitch, 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 glitch. I think my computer was like, holy crap, 38 songs. And then it stopped. Well, it's just as well. I could. I was boring myself. It's just as well you got shut no, off. No, I was fascinated. I got a guy in a wheelchair recording concerts. That's a whole story. Mike the Mike, M-I-K-E, the M-I-C. Mike <laughs> the Mike Millard. You can look him up on Wikipedia. Stuff. Ben Barton, Elton John, what do you think? Oh, I feel terrible. I, I mean, he's fine. I just don't like him very much. And this is an actual conversation I've had. He played at Bonnaroo, and, and my friends all wanted to go to that, and I freaking skipped it. Yeah. And, wow. No, and he's he's toured he's toured recently, and all of my dear friends here in Knoxville are really you know just like really amped about it. Yeah, uh, and it's just not for me. Can't do it. Well, but isn't that a product of the twenty five plus years of songs that you don't like? Like oh, yeah. I don't, dude. Like uh, yeah, if it, it were. It's something that happens to me, and I, I think uh, this has happened to Jeff, too. I, there's a specific example of this. So in college, when, when we were all in college, uh-huh. Neil Young put out Freedom, which is a great record, uh-huh. and he put out Ragged Glory, which is a great record. He put out two really good records in a row. And okay. so I was like, I, I, I like Neil Young now. You know what I'm going to do is when he puts out a record, I'm just going to buy the record. And then he put out, the next record was bad. I can't remember the name of it. Then the record after that was bad. Uh-oh. The record that came out after that was so bad, and I was so mad at it. I was like, you know what? I don't like Neil. It's not only that I don't like this record. I don't like Neil Young anymore. Like, He's I'm, done. The entire catalog is now written off for me. Period. Right. And that's an Elton John thing. Oh, I could, I could so theoretically funny. go back and I could dig through it and figure it out, uh, but that, like it's all so cheesy to me that right. I'm not capable of doing that. I'm not a did, big enough person. Did oh, did so R- did REM? Oh, the movie, by the way, the stupid movie didn't help. The move. The oh, that movie was so bad. Oh, oh. I didn't see that. Uh, I just had to hear from all these people about how I didn't understand and how. Oh no no no! I was like, oh oh, believe me, I understand. <laughs> how I understand. much? I saw the movie. Like it was like I didn't like peas. I didn't like him. And then you made me eat a whole eight-course meal on nothing but peas. Afterwards, I was not like, oh, now I see peas. Hey, we all try hard on this podcast, but we really don't know what we're doing. If you do... Give us advice on Twitter at 50 Years of Music Podcast. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. 
I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Electricast.